Hello and welcome to this special edition of ED's long-standing Susty Talk series held as part of ED's 25th birthday celebrations. Over the past few weeks we've been spending a lot of time looking back at the evolution of the sustainable business movement over the past two decades and a half and obviously we also need to look back at the policy context in which that evolution has taken place. And so I'm delighted to have as our latest Susty Talk guest, the former Secretary of State for Energy and Climate Change, now Chair of the Anaerobic Digestion and Biogas Association, Chris Hune. Thank you so much for your time, Chris. That's a pleasure, Sarah. No, thank you for, for hopping on. Hopefully I've done you some justice in that brief introduction. Um, but for those who maybe have got into green politics after 2012 and might not be familiar with your work or might not have heard of uh, ADBA, it'd be great to have a brief introduction in your own words as well, please. So ADBA is the Anaerobic Digestion and Bioresources Association. It represents uh, the biogas sector across the UK, which has uh, 700 plants. Uh, we reckon that that could, if it grows just in line with what the International Energy Agency says is going to be the growth in the world market, that would grow up to about 1,800 plants by 2030. It's still well short of some countries like Germany, where they have about over 9,000 or 10,000 plants. Uh, and there's enormous potential because uh, not only does this actually uh, help us decarbonize agriculture by using manures and slurries, it also helps us to use sewage sludge out of water treatment plants. It also helps us turn food waste into something useful rather than something that goes to landfill and then releases methane, very powerful greenhouse gas straight into the atmosphere. So uh, this is an extremely flexible technology based on three or four, if you count industrial waste processes as well, like whiskey mash um, uh, types of feedstock. And it is very flexible as well in how it can be used. It can either be fed as is the current preference in the UK directly into the gas grid. And it's with a little bit of purification an exact substitute for natural fossil natural gas uh, and could um, substitute for about 10% of our imports at what we reckon is the potential. Uh, or alternatively, it can be used to power a combined heat and power generator. And uh, that means that you can feed into the electricity grid or use the electricity locally uh, if you're a farm or a, or, or a process. So it's a very uh, uh, flexible, versatile, renewable. It's actually historically, um, anaerobic digestion is one of the two granddaddy renewables. The first um, anaerobic digestion plant in modern times was built the, in the city of Exeter for street lighting at the end of the 19th century at about the same time that Edison was building the first hydroelectric dam uh, in Wisconsin. So people often forget that renewables have been around for a long time, but AD and hydroelectricity, hydro, hydroelectric dams are both you know, old renewables that still perform a very, very important function. Great. Thanks for the potted history there. And I'm sure we can take a deep dive into both agriculture policy and renewables policy, which we've touched on. Um, but to start with, I think it'd be great for you to reflect as someone that formerly was in policy and is now helping industry engage with policymakers um, on the changing ways in which UK businesses are engaged with environmental policy. So we're obviously a B2B title is is the way that UK PLC engages with green policy now different than when you were imposed in in the early 2010s Chris do you think 
I think there's a much wider awareness amongst a much broader spectrum of businesses of the importance of getting engaged in uh, not just the climate change debate, but more generally in the sustainability debate. And it's become almost too trendy if you look at what uh, has happened in the finance sector where everybody was claiming to do marvellous green things. And actually, there was rather a lot of greenwash going on. So I think that the, 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 we've won the rhetorical argument about the necessity for business to take into account sustainability and the green agenda. I think we still, and, and that's really crucial because if you've won the rhetorical argument, then effectively things are going to happen because people, particularly politicians, get captured by their own uh, rhetoric. Um, but it is important to follow through on that agenda. And I think that um, business on many things has been a little too reluctant to be upfront about its own interests um, and uh, the uh, interests of the economy. Uh, and we've been through a long period when um, populist politics has uh, decried uh, experts, whether they're climate change experts or trade experts or legal experts or whatever it happens to be. And that's also been a difficult environment. So if you actually look at the policy uh, of the UK government, we've gone in the climate change area from very clearly being uh, pioneers and being perceived as pioneers, for example, on the Climate Change Act, on the creation of the Committee on Climate Change. In my time as Secretary of State, we uh, produced the first renewable heat uh, scheme, the renewable heat incentive. Uh, we did the electricity market reform, which introduced strike prices with Dutch auctions for contracts for difference, which a lot of people over across the world hold responsible for driving down the, the costs of offshore wind, for example, and making that a, a phenomenal uh, success. Uh, so, you know, we've, we, we were doing a lot in the UK um, under Ed Miliband, my predecessor, and the Labour government up until 2010, then in the coalition government up until 2015, we were doing a lot of quite innovatory, interesting policy stuff that was and has been copied elsewhere, notably, for example, the use of, of markets to drive down costs and renewables. Um, and that, I'm afraid, has, has sort of rather fallen by the wayside. It's almost as if the UK government has not had enough uh, brain space to tackle Brexit, uh, COVID, and be innovative on the uh, climate change agenda. So uh, it's very, very hard to find any area now uh, where you could point at the UK and say that there are some genuinely interesting new policy innovations going on, which other countries need to uh, take account of. And that's a that's a shame. You know, that's a that's a real regression uh, from where we were only um, 10 years ago. And the real change, I'm afraid, was uh, began just before really, the Brexit vote, when when the Conservatives rather surprisingly to them won an overall majority in 2015. And suddenly what happened is that the hugger husky period that had 
been sort of the David Cameron leitmotif up until the 2010 election, very clearly gave way to the other famous quote from him, which was um, to cut the green crap. Uh, and after 2015, we saw a lot of cutting of green crap as the Conservatives then saw it, including massive cutbacks, for example, in the energy efficiency and energy savings programmes, uh, which have now really come back to bite the government because they're having to spend far more on subsidising energy bills over the last couple of years than they would have done uh, if they'd continued those energy saving and energy efficiency measures. So I'm afraid it's been a period marked by very short termist thinking when it comes to the green agenda and saving money uh, overlaid by this massive uh, sucking uh, distraction of Brexit and uh, of COVID, which has meant that policy has, I'm afraid, been marking time rather than doing anything terribly interesting. And that's certainly the case in biogas. So, uh, for example, we've uh, had no announcement, repeated postponements uh, of um, the food waste collections uh, for local authorities, mandatory food waste collections. That means that the feedstock that should and could be used to create um, uh, more biogas and substitute for imports and cut the cost to consumers um, of gas uh, over the last few years. That has gone by uh, the wayside because of delays. It's almost as if the government's been running away from taking tough decisions. It doesn't want to offend anybody. I'm afraid we're in a pre-election period now. Uh, and I don't expect the government to be terribly brave about leading the agenda uh, over the next couple of years. I mean, that's disappointing to hear. And and in 2022, our editor run a piece asking where did it all go wrong for net zero after the uh, High Court ruled that the strategy was um, unlawful. Now it seems to be the same for waste and resources. And I wanted to bring it back to what you said about business engagement. You said businesses have won the rhetorical argument. It seems to be the case that in the government, we've won the case of like, you know, climate change is a problem. We should be doing something about it. We had really fast early moving policy but as you say the brain space isn't there the mindset's not there and I know you express a bit of pessimism um, about what's to come for the remainder of this government but I know that recently we did have yeah almost 3,000 pages of green policy published in what is being called Green Day 30th of, of March a lot of it was consultations and acknowledgements but there were some changes in there so it'd be great to hear what what you made of of all of that is there any chance of any of that making the approach to net zero more credible given well, the time constraints and the the election um constraints that you mentioned chris i you know the the uh i would love to believe that we are still heading uh at speed um towards meeting the targets that are there i'm afraid you know all of the um, uh, checks that are, have been done by official bodies like the Committee on Climate Change and others suggest that there is still a widening gap between the government's promises and indeed the government's legislative commitments under the Climate Change Act and uh, and delivery. And I just don't see um, that uh, come changing. I mean, there's been no shortage of promises. You know, this this government and the previous governments, we've been through massive changes with prime ministers and chancellors of the Exchequer coming in and out like a revolving door. Um, 
you know, there's no shortage of promises, but that's actually not what we need. What we need is 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 action. And you really got to look at what governments are doing if you're going to judge them, uh, not by what they uh, what they promise. And the the difficulty with all of these announcements, particularly if you combine it with what was announced in the budget, uh, is that a lot of the good things that the government has committed to are actually slated to happen way out in the future after any um, uh, likely general election. And that, by the way, doesn't just apply on the green agenda. It also applies on things like um, putting the public finances to rights. So uh, there are some quite, in order to get the debt to GDP ratio down, the Chancellor is essentially assuming uh, growth and, and, and revenue after the election, um, which, uh, uh, you know, may or may not happen. So uh, it's easy in a way for politicians to make uh, commitments about periods when they're not going to necessarily be in government or they will have changed jobs uh, and they can't therefore be held to account. And so you saw on the green agenda lots of stuff about how marvellously we were going to build out uh, nuclear power and nuclear power stations. You know, it takes years to build out nuclear power stations. We've got three in Europe, um, uh, which are currently being built by EDF Hinkley Point, Flamanville in France, and Olkiluoto in uh, in Finland. All of them have been massively over budget and massively late. Uh, and yet, you know, there was really nothing specific to encourage. Uh, the biogas sector, at least the biogas sector got mentioned and biomethane got mentioned, which wasn't the case with the energy security strategy last April. But there's still nothing really specific to help the sector, even though we can build out plants in two to three years. Whereas, you know, if you can build a nuclear power station in less than 14 years, you know, give me a ring because I certainly don't know anyone who can do that. Um, so it, it it's disappointing, I think, because there are big promises for far out periods when ministers will not be around to be held to account. And frankly, very little um, up front that we can actually see changing things in the short run. And yet we need things changed in the short run. We need more energy saving. We need more biogas to substitute for uh, gas imports and reduce costs. Uh, and of course, to decarbonize uh, and meet our 2030 and longer term goals. So, you know, this is the real thing. And for example, what's happening on the in the farm sector, there's really nothing in the farm sector uh, which is beginning to address the agenda on decarbonization. Yet agriculture is a significant contributor to the UK uh, carbon emissions. Uh, and the government really has missed an opportunity here when it's been apparently rethinking all of agricultural policy in the wake of our exit from uh, the European Union. And yet, you know, where is the uh, where are the measures that are really tackling decarbonisation of agriculture? Do we have an idea of what ministers really think about? how the livestock sector is going to be decarbonized long run, uh, what potentially is the role of biogas and anaerobic digestion in dealing with the manures and slurries, which means that we could uh, stop methane emissions from agriculture on a much more comprehensive way. I mean, they seem to be obsessed with feeding uh, cattle uh, these 
pills to stop them emitting uh, methane, you know, while they're wandering around the fields. Frankly, that is just a, a very small part of the problem. And it's about time we got a grip on it. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned, obviously, we need some short term work on energy at the moment. That much is is clear. But if there's delays on energy, as you mentioned, the delays in agriculture uh, even more. Um, we've had um, MPs committees pull in um, ministers at DEFRA and ask, you know, will you end what has been called a culture of delay this year? And that's not just on decarbonisation, um, as you mentioned, but also on nature restoration. And you mentioned that Brexit was touted as this um, opportunity to really overhaul um, ag, ag policy. But have you been following the work regarding um, not only decarbonisation, but the role that conserving and restoring nature and natural resources like water and soil will, will have to plan? And do you, do you have any hope for DEFRA to end its culture of delay? This, this Well, that's really, that's really important as well for the bioresources, for biogas sector, because, of course, one of the products of a biogas plant, of an anaerobic digester, is digestate, which can be used as a substitute for synthetic fertilizer. So what the government's view long run of an agricultural sector, which is probably going to have to be a much, much less reliant on synthetic fertilizer, which is largely made out of natural gas, uh, you know, what is the government's view? I don't know. Um, it doesn't seem to have laid that out at all. And, you know, there are some real issues which have to be addressed globally as well as in the UK. You know, if we wean ourselves off synthetic fertilizer, we can go on to onto digestate. Um, uh, you know, is there going to be a cost in terms of agricultural yields? Um, and if so, how are we going to fill that? Because world population, the so-called green revolution from the 1960s onwards was based very largely on the use of natural gas created synthetic fertilizers. So all of these are big, big questions, which I don't have an impression that um, ministers have an answer to, or at least they're not saying publicly if they do. No, I mean, we're definitely still waiting all manner of delayed things from, from DEFRA at the moment. So I suppose we can only hope for the months to come. But Chris, I know you're a very busy man um, and we've covered a lot of green policy there in a short period of time. So I will let you get going. And thank you so much for coming okay, on our Talk. Thank you. Pleasure.